John Cryer, and this is the Undisclosed Addendum. And today we're talking about the third episode of HBO's documentary, The Case Against Adnan Syed, which, uh, as promised, blew up the state's entire case, pretty much. And we're lucky enough to have with us three folks, uh, all of whom who were featured on the documentary. We've got Rabia Chowdhury and Susan Simpson. Hey, guys. Hey, John. Hey, John. Thanks so much for being here. But we also have uh, Nikisha Horton. Uh, now, if you've seen episode three, well, OK, actually, if you haven't seen episode three, don't listen to any of this. <laughs> it will ruin it for you. But in the episode, uh, Nikisha makes a particularly nail biting phone call to Jay Wilds. And of course, uh, you know, Nikisha, we've kind of defined you by your relationship to Jay, but obviously that's not who you are. First of all, welcome to the show. And, and could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hello, um, Nikisha. I'm originally from Baltimore, Maryland. I'm a seamstress. I've been sewing for about 20 years. I'm self-employed. That's it, basically. That's it. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. I have a million questions, uh, obviously. First of all, how did you come to be involved in the documentary? Did they contact you? Did you contact them? Uh, They contacted me. um, I think when the first podcast, maybe a year or two later or something like that, they reached out and I don't even know how they got in contact. I think they said they found me on Facebook and found the phone number to like a flyer or something that was like way down the line. I guess they tried that. They contacted me. And um, I did reach out to him about it because I was kind of confused. I hadn't talked to him in years. And he just like brushed it off. Oh, don't worry about it. It's not that serious. And I left it alone. And then they tried to, um, they reached back out maybe a year or two later and basically explained stuff. And I started doing my own research with the with the situation. And then I just decided to, you know, help. I listened to Serial, I want to say maybe like two, about two and a half years ago, two or three years ago. Can I ask you, Nikisha, what was your, John's like, um, this is my job. I'm just curious. I have so many questions too. Go ahead, Robbie. Uh, I'm so sorry. What was, when you first heard Serial, I mean, you know Jay better than probably any of us know Jay. Um, What was your initial impression? Like, did you, like vis-a-vis Jay, were you like, did you know any of this? Did he ever tell you anything about his involvement in this case? He didn't ever tell me. He basically kept that a secret as I know of him now, but I mean, he has mentioned it prior when we talked about his ex-girlfriend, like within like a month or two of us meeting and he just brushed it off. Like, Oh yeah, you know, we broke up because of the situation that happened in school and you know, her family didn't want her involved with me. So that's why we broke up. And that's, that was the end of the conversation. So I never knew it was nothing like super deep at the time. Like you didn't know he was, he helped bury body type of deep. Never, no. Okay. No. When did you meet Jay? What year was it? I want to say it was, I want to shoot, I want to maybe say um, 2004, maybe five, something like that. Oh, that wasn't long after. Yeah. Do you know how long he and Stephanie had been broken up that time? Um, I was assuming around high school time. That's what okay, I was Okay, so it's been a while. They still were kind of close friends. Yeah, that's what I was doing. I knew they still had contact and they were like friendly, you know, cordial or whatever. But I didn't, I figured it was, you know, way down the line when I did meet, meet him. Now, can I ask about your relationship with him? How long were you guys together? Um, we were together off and on from that time until, I want to say till 2000, 2012, maybe. Yeah, long time. Mm-hmm. And and your son was born in 2008? 10. No, 2010. Oh, 2010. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, this was uh, obviously a, a very complicated relationship. When you finally broke it off, you had mentioned, at least in the in the documentary, there was uh, some mention of domestic violence. And uh, was that the reason that you broke it off? Was it a combination of reasons? It was a combination of reasons. We had been through like so much crazy stuff dealing with him. It was just so many. And not just me, just him, his personality. It was just so many different crazy situations. And when that domestic violence thing occurred, I, I left him alone for a little bit, but I still tried to have him involved in my son's life. But I just started seeing the, the anger like coming out and I didn't want it to happen again. So, you know, when he kind of like threatened me with, oh, you know, I guess he knew he was messing up and I was probably on the verge of leaving. Um, he basically threatened me like, oh, you, you can't go nowhere if I'm not with you. And that like spooked me a little bit. Like, why are you saying this is my child? I want to take him here. Why do you have to be with me? And when my son got sick, you know, that opportunity came where I was with my son 
and not with him. I just I had I made the decision to leave because it was that it was getting that intense, and I I seen him you know drinking and getting into that little rage prior before that happened. He never put his hands on me again. I just didn't want a situation to happen again. Like that was crazy. I've never been in no situation like that ever. And I know at the end of the day, it's a bad situation. It only gets worse. And that's what it was. Nikisha, was that the first time he had ever battered you? That was the first time he went to that extent. Um, one time before, like early in our relationship, we had an um, altercation. We were arguing. He called the police on me. And when the police came, he tried to switch his story up, sound so proper. Like he knew he was talking about, talking about, beat up his car. His car was like real rusty and just just a, a mess and I was shocked the way he he portrayed to the police that I was you know violent to him and beating his mm-hmm. car but he's way bigger than me taller than me stronger than me so I'm looking at him the whole time like uh you're making the story up to the police you call the police on me and then saying I'm doing this that and the third so the police is like Miss Horton you know what happened you talk to me you talk to me I was just so shocked at how he flipped it and I lift my arm up because he had slung me on the ground and I had like a bruise on my elbow. So once they see, you know, that he did sling me on the ground and I was bruised, they locked him up for that. And we had stopped After talking he called like the police? for seven months. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I'm so sorry that you went through that. That That, that is terrifying. And let me just say, I, situations of domestic violence sound simply terrifying to me. And, uh, you know, all the more complicated when you have a child with the person that this is occurring with. It's just an incredibly brave thing to to do to get that person out of your life. Yeah, it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage. So I remember I'm talking about this with you when we met last year. But, you know, I've been worried about you. Like you obviously thought long and hard about this getting involved in documentary. Um, yeah. And made the decision, right. but it's hard. I do, I do worry about you, and I hope, hope it's not going to cause problems for you. I mean, I hope it doesn't either. Like my friends are really worried, but they like you did a good thing, and that's how I feel. So you made the decision at one point to actually participate in the documentary, and yet another decision to actually make that call, which, as I said, for people watching the show, it's just nail-biting moment of tension because we understand what you're reopening in your life at that point. Uh, Can you tell me about that moment a little bit? It was scary. Um, I wanted to help, you know, but I honestly didn't even think he was going to say anything to me. Like, we don't really talk like that here and there, you know, and... I was I was more shocked that he even tried to open up a little bit to me, but I feel like because we went through so much stuff and I had his back on a whole bunch of things, like even when he was doing messed up stuff, I tried to like look out for him because that was a person I was involved with. Maybe he felt you know able to trust me to communicate with me, and I was just shocked because like I said, we haven't talked in years. So that was just a shock for me that he even opened up and even tried to explain something to me to have my mind clear with it, but it still wasn't clear. Because it just doesn't make sense. So, yeah, to me, just listening to it in the, and watching it in the documentary. Now, please tell me if I'm mischaracterizing this, if I'm saying it wrong. But it sounded like he was saying that uh, he had been caught with a large amount of drugs, with of, of pot, and that he tried to come up with a worse crime than that. Uh, or try to at least help the police with a worse crime than that so as to allay the first charge. Is, is that about what he was saying? Yes, that's exactly what about what he was saying. Yes. Oh, I got into some trouble, you know, and I didn't want to be jammed up. So I went along with it. That's basically what he what he said to me. And I, I think about it like did he lie to me about it to make me feel like, OK, so no need to worry about this, that and the third. Or it was he honest. Like, I don't really know at this point. It's just crazy. Mm-hmm. The whole thing is crazy just to know that I was even dealing with somebody with all of these issues and all of this baggage is crazy. Overwhelming for real. But if, if so, when y'all were together, you were presumably close. Would you have expected him to talk to you about this if he was involved in burying a body? Would you have thought that's something he would have shared with you, or um, was he closed if off? If he was in his mood, I don't think he would. I, I don't think he would have said it to that extent. Like if I probably would have knew a little bit more about it, I might have been able to get him to talk about it. I don't know if he would have been honest and told me everything that was going on. But he, if he was maybe like tipsy or just feeling himself, he he probably do. He likes to brag and stuff, so he might have said something. But I didn't know at the time to even bring it up. And he was happy to leave you in the dark. Yes. Have you uh, spoken to him since you made that call at all? Oh, yes. I've talked to him on numerous occasions. And since this hit, he's been blowing my phone up. Oh, my God. 
And that's kind of oh, like, boy. I don't even know how to take it. Yeah, like every day he calls or whatever. Like I just try to push the issue to keep calling him and calling him. But as things was going on with the case, I would like maybe reach out and call. And I just wouldn't say anything just to like fill him out with the whole situation. So you're responding to his calls. When he calls you, actually, you actually are picking up and responding to him? Yes, I'm responding to okay. him. Yes, it's like an open line of communication now. Is he angry I'm at like, you? Okay, I, I mean... He was angry at first. Like the first day it came out, I just knew that he knew, and he tried to play it off. I just I was calm about it. I didn't say anything about anything. And then like later on, he cussed me out and said this, that, and the third, and all kind of crazy stuff. So I just thought about it. I'm like, at the end of the day, I didn't know I was not there. You know, I was being honest with everything I said, and I I just that's what it is. So I I did reach out to him um, the next day and text him like, hey, you know, like I just you don't have to say anything if you think I want information, you know, I just want you to hear me out. And he he called back. I was shocked because he was so mad the day the prior day, and I just basically let him know, you know, I feel like he's dealing with a lot of demons, and this is why he responds the way he does, and he needs to figure out how to fix it and get it off his chest. So he listened to me, and then after that, we just he called, and but he don't talk about the case or anything, and he just you know talks regular. I'm surprised he's not calling about the other, you know, the next episode because he knew about that. He didn't actually watch it. He said someone told him about it. I don't know, but he's something he's going to sue me and all. He just went, he went off. So now he's calm. He don't want me to talk. So he's probably going to be upset when he finds out here that I'm still speaking out, <laughs> and that's just what it is. I think that's why he's calling though so much to, you know, keep tabs me out and not say anything. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like he's trying to still have some measure of control over the situation. Exactly. Exactly. That's how I felt when he was yelling and screaming and yeah. And texting mm-hmm. and texting and texting, like semi threatening me through texts. And I'm just like, whatever, like it's late. It's early. It's late at night. I'll talk to you late. I've brushed it off. So that's, that's what he's doing. What would you do to stay alive? Would you wade through snake-infested water? Would you drink your own urine? Would you cut off your own arm? When the stakes are life and death, you might be surprised at the lengths you go to save yourself. Every Monday, the Podcast Network's podcast, Survival, demonstrates the human spirit's ability to triumph over deadly adversity and examines the lasting psychological effects of living through a traumatic event. Survival tells high-intensity stories of people in life-or-death situations and explores the strategies they use to survive. You'll have stories of survival about a pilot and passenger crash landing in the Canadian Yukon in the dead of winter, a man escaping from a North Korean internment camp, and people trapped on sinking ships. Survival. How far would you go to stay alive? Search for and subscribe to Survival wherever you listen to podcast shows. And don't forget to rate and review and tell them what we sent you. Nikisha, can I ask, um, kind of what is your sense of his involvement? Do you feel like you have a clear understanding of what he knows and doesn't know? And I don't have a clear understanding. I'm from what I've what I've seen and what I even heard from his interviews after the fact and what we talk about. I don't have it. Doesn't make no sense or a lot of situations. It doesn't make any sense at all to me. What he's saying and what he wants to believe or trying to force everybody to believe it doesn't make sense so I really don't even know it's just so crazy that's all I can say it's like so surreal and so crazy at the same time I mean there's a lot of parts of his story that are odd to me and don't make sense to me but I thought one of the most unbelievable things that um and this was what he said was why he listened to Adnan was because he was scared of Adnan he was scared that Adnan would hurt Stephanie and to me it's kind of like what you said about him being a big guy and him telling the police that you're attacking him. It was kind of like the same kind of, he's you know, strong, even, exactly. That's what I'm saying. He, he's bigger. He was bigger than Adnan even then. Yeah. He's very, yeah, it's he's, hard lean, me- he's very, very strong. And I know it doesn't make sense. He's, he don't get threatened that easily. Like I, I don't mm-hmm. even see that. I really don't see that. The and idea well, of, yeah, Jay, of non going to Jay and being like, Hey, I know you deal weed. Help me bury this body. And Jay being like, Oh, okay. I guess yeah. I better. Man, it was his birthday. It was it was Stephanie's birthday. All this happened on both of their birthdays. So I'm thinking if it was on my birthday and one of my friends came to me and said, hey, that just doesn't, it doesn't add up. It, it doesn't add up. I don't know. Yeah, there's many aspects of that have bumped me all along. Long. I mean, Anand's the honor student. Supposedly Jay says, well, I was the connection to the criminal element of the school. 
which you know we've had other people on who say, oh no, he wasn't uh, <laughs> that he that he was not nearly you know actually connected with the real criminal element at that time. But again, you know, you know in his mind, mm-hmm. <laughs> in his mind, he was not no big time nothing. Even when I met him, he was no big time nothing. So, no. Mm-hmm. But he's always seemed like a very charming person. When I actually watched the video of him on the stand, it's like all of a sudden I could understand. I said, oh, that's why people believe him. He seems very uh, not charming is the wrong word. He just seems I could see why people would believe him. I had no problem buying that. Right. He's, he know how to switch it up. That's all I can say. If you feel like he fits <laughs> the part, like that's what he does. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, that's That's him all day. So he never, you know, because he's had many brushes with the law, did he, and he had brushes with the law while he was with you? Yes. Got it. So was he ever arrested while he was with you? He was never arrested. He had never, I think the only time he did get arrested when he hit me and he barricaded himself in my apartment and he had to like kick my door down and get him out. That was the only time I seen him with actually handcuffs and, you know, and get locked up. And I don't know, he probably came home a day or two prior to that. Well, after that happened, I didn't talk to him for a minute. So I don't know how long he stayed in there, whatever the case may be. But any other situation, there was never no jail time, no bail, no calling home, none of that. That's crazy. Ever. When it happened, I didn't push the issue because I felt like, you know, with the police thing, that's that's definitely serious. Like the state will pick that up regardless. So I kind of like didn't want to deal with it so much and, you know, and let it do what it do. But it, it didn't do anything. He body like slammed a cop, like, yeah. Yeah, he's still well, on him and all that stuff, out the window, it was crazy. If you could come up with just, like, uh, an example of the kind of brush with the law he would have that he wouldn't get arrested for, that might have been surprising? Um, the only one that I know that stands out more to me where I actually witnessed it when my son came home, because he was a preemie, so he, it was his first day coming home at the hospital, and I um, took and we went on our way to his grandmother's house, you know, so they could see the baby. And he asked me to, you know, pull over. He wanted to go and do something. I don't even know what he wanted to do. So I said, okay. I dropped him off on the, on the, one of the streets. And he went like two or three houses down, went towards the house. People ran up in the house, looked like undercovers. So I'm looking, you know, sitting back looking. And I pulled off and went right to the grandmother's house. Like, I think something's happened. I think, you know, this, that, and third, the police or something. And two hours later, three hours later, he come walking to the house like wasn't nothing going on I'm telling his whole family something ain't right and this that and the third and he just comes in like nothing he didn't say anything about it he brushed it off and that was that I was worried about my baby at the time so I wasn't really stressing about what he was you know doing but that was definitely odd because it definitely was a situation it wasn't no friends you know yeah how, how do you not get arrested if everyone else around him is getting arrested for something okay exactly I think that's yeah. why he does the things he does because he felt like he no, not going to get in trouble. I think he gets a high off it, actually. One of the mysteries of the documentary, and it's been a mystery of, of this case uh, the whole time, is how, in fact, Jay got the apparent deal that he seems to have gotten. You know, Susan, could you talk us a little through about, because he seems to have many contacts with the police before he does his interview. And then afterwards, you know, he's somehow not doing any jail time while Adnan is in jail with no bail. Yeah, in episode three, you do see the uh, QRI investigator give a sort of a summary of like the weird limbo Jay ended up in, where from February, I guess March 1st, really, um, February 28th till mid-September 1999, he is, he's confessed to murder, he's confessed to accessory after the fact of murder, he's confessed to helping a nun in this murder, um, but nothing happens to him, he's not charged, he just goes back and lives his life. And he has this hanging over his head, but he can't get any legal help. He can't get an attorney appointed for him because he's not been charged with anything. Um, and it's not until September that things start kind of moving. And one thing I did not get to so deep into in the documentary that talked about Serial is how the attorney he ended up getting was Ann Benaroya. She was not a public defender. She was a pro bono who volunteered because Yurik called her up and said, hey, will you represent this guy for me? And for some reason, she decided that's the best use of her pro bono efforts. And she agrees. And she helps. She's his attorney. And what happens next is sort of like a strange sentencing hearing where Jay does plead guilty, but the sentencing is held off. He's not actually sentenced, which means at trial, when Jay goes on the stand and testifies, 
Yurik brings up like, oh, you're facing five years in prison for this, aren't you? And he's like, yeah. And that's true. He was he pled guilty to a crime that carries a max five uh, year sentence. But what's not mentioned, what the jury never learns is that all along, Jay was never going to get any time. That was what was known from the beginning is that Jay would be sentenced. The plea would be finalized. He'd be sentenced after a non-trial and he'd get a sentence he got, which was all suspended. Wait, so the suspended sentence was actually spoken of before? They're not going to say that out loud, but obviously, uh. yeah. But it was very clean. Why else would Yurik have gotten an attorney that would be able to trust him and say, hey, when I'm, when I'm asking for this favor and not putting it in writing, you know I'm good for it. Well, and Benaroya knew he was good for it because they'd worked it out. But wouldn't he have had to work it out with the judge? Well, the judge has to prove it, but they managed to get in front of the judge. He was notoriously lenient and forgiving to youthful offenders. Are judges just picked by lots there that you just get the judge you get? Or is it a turn-based system? I mean, you know, did Yurik have any control over that? I don't know. I suspect then how they'd have done it. Um, but yeah, it definitely worked out very well in their favor. Because again, the judge also had agreed to this weird bifurcated sentencing hearing um, where the, the guilty plea, like the Senate, like technically he had not actually pled guilty when he testified in non-trial. Like he'd agreed to plead guilty. The sentence was accepted, but it was not entered formally until after the trial. So yeah, you had to have a judge that would also agree to this weird sentencing behavior for no apparent reason. And this was uh, Anand's first trial or his uh, second trial? So basically the original sentencing date um, was for after the first trial for Anand, but of course there was a mistrial. So they had to do it again. So they had to hold off his sentencing with the court hmm. and reschedule it for after the second trial. Huh. So the idea being that he, as a witness, is much more credible, you know, when the jury does not know that his sentence has already been suspended, that somehow he's not going to see any jail time from this. Jay is a much more credible witness when you don't know that actually he's agreed to never serve any jail time if he says the story. Well, when you put it that way. <laughs> well, I mean, like even seriously, hear from the, the, the juror, I forget her name, but she was like, wait, he didn't serve any time for that? They, they fully expected he was going to be serving that five years. Yeah. In, in a jury room, it is uh, frightening that those kind of leaps of logic. Um, it's not a leap of logic, though. There was definitely that that was the intent that Yurik set it up that way. He wanted them to believe that Jay was serving time, even though he knew he was not going to be asking for it. Were those sentencing trials for Jay the ones that Stephanie actually showed up to? She shows up and you see the footage of it in the documentary. And mm -hmm. you hear, I think I'm pretty sure Sarah, Sarah Kane talked about it on Serial. You see her in the very back row of that final sentencing hearing, the one where he talks about how people look at him like he's a monster. And she's there in the very back. You know, you can kind of see her trying to be inconspicuous, but she's there for him. Mm -hmm. And now considering that it was revealed in the documentary that Jen also apparently dealt drugs, there's no evidence that the police ever, you know, came close to charging her or anything like that, is there? We do know that there were more interviews with Jen than were initially disclosed. Um, and there are files showing that in March, after Jay's second interview, Jen was brought back for further interviews, like two of them that we have no record of other than the fact they happened. So yeah, we don't know what's going on there. I also wanted to get to the big bombshell of the episode. Nikisha, I don't know if you saw the episode three, but it was revealed that one of the witnesses who corroborated Jay's story, that she actually had a college class scheduled for that evening that she could not have missed, um, which, of course, blows up the entire uh, story that Jay told uh, at trial. Now, a lot of people are, have uh, sort of been commenting on social media that, you know, it's possible that she forgot the class or, uh, you know, you know, there, there are people coming up with reasons why that isn't an ironclad uh, reason that she would not have been there that night. But it seems like that there's multiple reasons to believe her. Uh, I mean, Susan, obviously, you did a lot of research into the conferences that she was uh, supposedly going to for that school. Uh, and that that seems to corroborate it as well. Well, we still don't know, and Christy does not remember at this point, like which conference she was at that she remembers. Her memory ties whatever happened at her place with Anon to a conference. And there's no record of one happening at the place she says she was at happening that day. We still don't, you know, the, to me, the bigger takeaway is that Christy's memory has never, ever been tying Anon's visit to her house to her blowing off a class or her having a class mysteriously canceled or her otherwise not appearing for something she really, really needed to go to. Um, that's never, ever been something she remembered. So that yes, to me is a clear indication that, that her memory is not based on that date. There were some assertions that because a snowstorm was coming that, that they might have canceled that class. But of course, the snowstorm didn't start till the next day, which would be that's pretty preemptive. 
uh, in my mind. I don't know colleges they cancel, you know, cancel classes before the and snowstorm she lived, hits. Yeah, she lived not far from it, too, from campus. And I, I went to UMBC. I went to the same school. I took twice winter semesters, and I distinctly remember that we would have only like four classes in the semester. You cannot miss a class. I mean, simple as that. Because each class was like the equivalent of like three regular semester classes, three or four regular semester classes, just concentrated um, because you're getting the same amount of credits. You literally just couldn't even miss the credit hours uh, or else you would, if she missed one class, maybe she could have gotten away with a D, but that would have probably been it. And, you know, this is not that... Not that complicated. I mean, you can find other people who have taken winter classes. I don't know. They might have. I, I don't know if all these years later they're going to have like records of, um, you know, who attended and didn't attend. They had. I think. I think yeah. all the records that are available have been obtained. I'm not they sure. got. Yeah. Yeah, it's unlikely is what I want to say. I also remember one winter when I was at UMBC and I stayed on campus for the winter session that there was a snowstorm. And this was the kind of like I literally opened up my dorm door or it was like an apartment on campus and the snow was as high as my head. Um, but, you know, we had classes the night before. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And to me, the bigger issue is even just the fact that her memory doesn't include it. Like what that. Right. If Judge Judy stood out to her, why would not her blowing off a class and it's going to make her fail? Yeah, that would be if she could say, well, I had a class that day. I blew it off. And that's why I know I was there versus I had a conference I was that, I was day. Fail that class now. Yeah. Right. Also, the conference right. wouldn't have interfered. The conference, she says, ended at like four. So there's no reason. There's no possible reason why the conference would somehow give her an, like a, a freebie on skipping three classes. Yeah. The equivalent of. Yeah. And Adnan does remember going to Christie's. He just doesn't remember what day. Is that correct? He does. Yeah. Adnan remembers going to her place once. He has a very vague recollection of once going to this apartment um, of this girl. He doesn't know her at all. And I, I guess he was just hanging out with Jay. He remembers being really high. And that's pretty much it. He just didn't, doesn't know. Now you have to remember the first time he's even heard this as part of the narrative is like at his trial almost a year later, almost like, well, many, many, like 10 months after he's been arrested. So it's not like right after he's arrested, he's been asked, you know, do you remember going there on that day? So, so many months later, just like with the Asia thing, when he's like, well, I do remember going there once. Maybe it was the same day. Like, it's very hard for him to kind of counter it on top of which it's not like he ever testified anyways. But what he does recall is that that phone call from the police. Yeah. Is that, well, it came actually from Hay's brother. And then the brother put the cop on the line. And that happened when they were in a car somewhere. And he has like a memory of that because he remembers reaching over to the glove box to get the phone and answering it with Jay in the car. I love beautiful furniture and having bought a house two years ago, I have been very, very careful about actually furnishing it because, you know, this is the kind of stuff that at this point in my life, I'm not somebody right out of college. I'm a grown up. I'm trying to do the adulting thing and I'm trying to buy pieces that I know are going to last and I'm going to keep for years, if not decades. At the same time, I need it to be affordable. And that's where Article comes in because Article makes and sells beautiful, well-made furniture with Scandinavian simplicity that is just so well-designed and modern and affordable because Article eliminates all the layers of traditional retail. So they can keep the prices low and the quality high. There are no showrooms, there are no salespeople, there's just savings. I recently got a gorgeous upholstered rocking chair from Article for my bedroom, for my bedroom right next to my bed. It's just well upholstered. And I, I've never bought a rocking chair before, to be honest, um, but this was like the kind of thing that I thought I want to sit in this chair and just read and rock and contemplate and spend hours alone in my little master suite. However, the chair is mostly occupied by my cats and my baby. So, you know, that's how comfortable it is. Not only is the furniture itself affordable, but the delivery is affordable. Anybody who's ordered furniture, whether it's in person, from a retail outlet, online, knows how expensive furniture delivery is. But no matter how many times you order from Article, every single order is shipped at a flat rate of $49. No matter how many pieces you have in that order, 49 bucks. Also, if you need some help getting set up, Article has options for in-room delivery, and I had that done. These very nice gentlemen came in, they put on these little slippers on their shoes, they took off all the wrapping of my rocking chair, and they took it up to my room and put it exactly where I wanted it. 
and your piece will arrive quickly. You don't have to wait weeks and weeks and months and months for the furniture you want for your home because in-stock items can be expected in two weeks or less. And also for some reason, if it didn't quite work, if the color wasn't what you were looking for or whatever, it didn't fit the space, they have a 30-day return policy and some of the best customer service in the business. Now look, Article is offering our listeners $50 off their first purchase of $100 or more. Think about that. Buy something for $100, bucks, get $50 off. Isn't that ridiculous? To claim this offer, visit article.com slash undisclosed. That's all it takes. Go to article.com slash undisclosed and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash undisclosed to get $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. One thing uh, that was mysterious from the documentary for me was Christy saying that the second the police showed up at Jen's, she knew it must have been about that one time when Adnan came over. And I was trying to think. That's weird. Yeah, there's nothing in his behavior that to me is such a red flag that she would remember it. But yet, for some reason, it really stuck in her mind. Is there any explanation for that? I, I, I To me, it's just, I mean, it's not conclusive by any means, but to me, it's just either that there had been talk she'd heard possibly from Jen or Jay about what they're being interviewed about or what was going on, or possibly that it was actually a much more recent event. And that's why I was so fresh in her mind. It was like a week ago, not a month and a half ago. Susan, I remember you had identified some alternative dates that Christy might've been remembering when you realized that the conference, there wasn't a conference on that day. So would any of those dates work if when the police approached Jen, like, I mean, did any of those dates happen before that or were they after that? Do you remember? I mean, there are a few that could potentially work. It's just the one that's not a complete list of dates that could have happened on because we don't have full records until the um, day of Anand's arrest. They only got to like what the 20 something. I don't forget the exact date. They don't go all the way through, though. So theoretically, uh, if this happened after the phone records go, we wouldn't have any sign of it. Um, the other thing is incoming calls. We don't know who did it. So we right. can't see like when Anand had a phone call in the evening from a, a friend. So it's really hard to correlate the two things because they're they're very indistinct, both in terms of Chrissy's memory. And the location. The location is not Well, it's an incoming – we know it's an incoming call. Well, we think – you know, to be fair, we don't know it's an incoming call. For all we know, it could be a non-calling someone. Um, But, yeah, it's it's not much to go on. And, I mean, yeah, it's it's just very clear when you – even ignoring the class schedule, just go back to look at the statements. The fact – the reason Christy and Jen – have never actually agreed with what Jay is saying. It's because they're not talking about the same thing. And I was curious, you know, there's many things that peripheral things that Jen and Jay mention. Um, and I was wondering if they got the day wrong, were there times that Anon might remember actually getting or dropping off Jay at the Westview Mall so that Jen could pick him up? Um, you know, she claims she saw the both of them. Well, if that was on a different day, does Adnan have any recollection of that? Well, was Jen's line that Je- Anon was like, sup girl or something? Like, Anon got out of the car. It's like, hey, what's up? Uh, that wasn't in the documentary, but I but I believe it. Uh, it may have been in the in the court testimony. But again, yeah, she claimed, and again, this is kind of convenient that she just happened to have exactly the information the police needed at that moment, which is that she saw Jay and Adnan together with Adnan driving and dropping off Jay at the Westview Mall. Well, they didn't um, need that because that's not Jay's story. So that that's oh, part okay. they never could fix. Okay, like, so they wanted it to be the same. It never was. And but uh, Adnan has no recollection of that. Adnan, I'm trying to think. I don't think we've ever. I don't think I've we've ever. We've hit something. We should ask Adnan. We, we should probably a, should ask him. Yes. Yes. Every time he got high with Jay and saw Jen is probably not. No, you know what? <laughs> I'm wrong. Adnan remembers. Adnan remembers that night actually dropping Jay off and then going to the mosque. That's what I remember him saying. At home, sorry, dropping him off at home. Which, Not at the mall. which would roughly match up with what Jay said, you know, well, minus minus the yes, minus the yeah. burying a, a dead body. Yeah. yeah. Uh, other than that small detail, uh, it would sort of match what he what he yeah. said. I'll definitely confirm with him, though. I'll confirm with him. Yeah. Nikki, so what was your experience with Jay about him? Like, would you, did you find him truthful or like would be obviously not you're not together? But like when, when you were all together, what if he said something, would you believe it? Uh, in the beginning I would, but then I started to realize how he tried to like switch the story up or try to, you know, put in, throw in extra words to make himself sound believable. I just started getting used to knowing he's lying when he's not lying. 
What kind of lies would he tell that? Was he lying, like, just to tell a good story? Or was he lying to, like, help himself? Or I'm trying to put it in words. Um, I I think it's to make himself look good. That's what what it would be. It wouldn't be, like, you know, to, like, get out or anything. It just, he just over-exaggerates things. So there wouldn't be, like, a point you'd see? It'd just be like, hey, look how cool I am? Right, exactly. Yeah, I was once with somebody who lied about a lot of little things, and you would be like, "Why on earth lie about that?" But in the end, it was a weird, it was it was a weird control thing. In in my particular case, I obviously I can't speak to your situation, but uh, in my case, blood? I've been there. <laughs> uh, yes, that, that that would be a, a maybe we could have some DNA drawn. Uh, for presence of tiger blood. Um, but no, but it was interesting because it was a, you know, now everybody's talking about gaslighting. It was a way to sort of control the reality because it was all, you were always dealing with them on their terms and they were always sort of testing whether you were accepting what they were actually offering. Um, that was exactly. that was my. OK, by the way, I'm so sorry that you're going through this and that you're dealing with being scared about this stuff. Uh, thank you so much for coming forward and doing what you're doing. Um, because it's, uh, you know, nobody deserves this. Yes. I also wanted to ask uh, Robbie and Susan, you know, I mean, obviously this being such a big sort of bombshell, uh, were you guys aware of it before uh, the thing came to air? I wasn't. I I was, I watched the episode and I sat up. I was like, wait, what? (laughs) I mean, I, Susan had already undermined, you know, kind of the thing because she had determined that there was no conference that kind of made sense. But this was, I had no idea about this. I knew they, I'd been in talks with the team, like when that was all, this is, this was a while ago now. I, I want to say like over two years that, that well, yes, uh, that they found about the Christie's thing. Um, so it, it was definitely something they had worked on and established and then confirmed with Christie and well, not confirmed with Jen, but discussed with Jen and you saw her reaction. Either way, I sympathize with her just because she's, she's like, what the hell <laughs> at this point, you know, there's just nothing left. But actually, Undisclosed had done an amazing job of pointing out how many parts of the state's case depend on people knowing that it's that day. People who already have clearly very foggy memories of it suddenly deciding that that all happened on the same day. You pointed out the Inez Butler thing when the you know giving Hay the the hot fries in front of the school. There was many things that you guys had chased down. Uh, You've done a remarkable job of it. Not so far from the only one who was really confused what day it was, because literally everyone in this case is confused about what day it was. Um, It's just, it's it's impossible to be certain about something. Even when you have an event that's kind of big, like, you know, the call from the police, they weren't, it wasn't like a call to say she was dead. It was a call to say uh, she hasn't gotten her cousin. And reading through the police notes of the interviews that had teachers really drives home how unconcerned most of the students were. Like several teachers talk about how like, oh, yeah, so the new semester started and Hay didn't show up to my class. It was like January 25th, I think. So not long after. And so first day of the new, new semester, new class, Heyman Lee doesn't show up, is not there for roll call. And the teachers tell the police how like. Yeah, none of the girls seemed that concerned about it. So I just figured she was, you know, and she'd left school before and gone to different schools and come back again. And no one no one seemed bothered. So you can see why none of them were having this firmly distinct, even if they were worried, they, they didn't, none of them were treating it like, like a murder, like it was. And they knew she had, she had a new boyfriend. I mean, that outside of school and, you know. Came up going to California, apparently. You know how it is with new relationships. People kind of disappear into that hole. Mm-hmm. And plus, even the police never checked on dates. Like the fact that there's this whole idea she was going to a wrestling match to coach it that day uh, when she was clearly scheduled to work at LensCrafters. So when Officer Adcock actually spoke with Adnan, do we have any uh, real knowledge of what was discussed? Did he say she's just missed picking somebody up or or did she just say her parents are looking for her? Do we know what he actually said to Adnan? I believe it was that just that like she didn't pick up her cousin. And I think he was asking, he asked him, and I haven't looked at the test, his testimony in a bit, but basically if he knew where, he, where she was, if he had any idea, like if he had heard from her, if she had told him anything, if she had seen her, stuff like that. 
Mm -hmm. Because many people have argued, oh, it was a very notable day to Adnan. He would have remembered it because, you know, how many days do you get a call from the police asking where your ex-girlfriend is? Uh, And, you know, that's a notable experience. And And he recalls it. He he does recall it. Um, He was driving and he was stoned at the time. Yeah. He was stoned. They weren't driving. Something they were pulled over somewhere. And Mm -hmm. he reached over to the glove compartment and got his phone because it started ringing in there. Well, you know, that's something that uh, I think uh, people will be arguing about because it's, you know, there's so many aspects of this case where people argue about, you know, well, what would you have done in that situation? And of course, you know, it's kind of useless because, you know, people are different and they, you know, we don't know how urgent it sounded to the police officer. If the police officer sounded bored and this sounded like no big deal, then it might not have been something that Adnan got alarmed about. You know, it sounded like at the time he was just concerned because he thought she was going to get in trouble with her parents. Yeah. Yeah. But you so, know who should remember that day with like iron clad clarity? The dude who says he's burying um, a body. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I was going to say I was going to say Don, but okay. No, no. I'm Don's t- the same boat. Like he like of course he I wouldn't Why is Don in the same boat? That is his girlfriend that he expects to see that day or at least see like they have plans. He saw her the night before. I mean yeah, like Yeah, but that's like the, the whole supposed- day be crystal clear in your mind. Okay, the day that you're supposed to meet up with your girlfriend after work and then she doesn't show and the police call looking for her. I mean, he does recall that. She had pla- she had Paul. Yeah, well, I'm right, but but Jay you has no a hard such time excuses. Yeah. Like yeah. why would he not remember like all con- like why can't he remember the order of events? Why does he keep remembering well, things well, that really didn't happen? Sellers could Yeah, Sellers couldn't remember what day he found the body either, so there's that. <laughs> yeah. So Alonzo Sellers, have you ever, before this documentary, did you ever heard of him? Had you ever, did you know the name? No. Okay. No. Not I something that's ever come up. I don't know who that is. I can't even put the face. No. Yes, he's an enigma and seems to want to remain so. We got a million listener questions that I wanted to get to. We've got one from Amy Johnson who says, uh, I'm rereading Adnan's story right now and just came across that Adnan knew and had told Hay that Jay was cheating on Stephanie. He point blank stated, if anyone ever tried to get between her, Stephanie, and I, I would kill him or her. So Jay had Adnan's cell phone that afternoon because it was in Adnan's glove box. And Jay borrowed Adnan's car to get Stephanie a birthday gift. But what if he paged or called Hay to set up a meeting with her? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Um, This literally screams reasonable doubt. And obviously, you know, this is a big accusation. Um, You know, many people looked at this case and thought, you know, you know, did Jay ever have a motive? Well, actually, Gutierrez didn't miss that one. That was one, well, she, she, I wouldn't say she effectively carried it off, but that was one she was trying to get at in her defense, such as it was of Anon, um, and her constant references to, to like, talking to Jay about your very good friend, Jen Pusateri. <laughs> like, that was a sarcastic, your very good friend. She was implying that because they'd been together, like, that was the motive. But to me, that seems... I mean, I, I don't find that a very plausible theory, but that was something Gutierrez did try and bring up a trial. Um, Nikisha, did, did I guess I know it's kind of awkward when it's like you're together, it's an ex, but did Jay ever talk about Stephanie to you, like in, other than saying why they broke up? Um, Not really. Not too okay. much. I mean, not, not yet. Not really. Did you ever meet her? No, I never met her. I remember one time being at his house and she came in. She Well, she didn't come in the house. She came to the back door or whatever. And like, he tried to like lock me in the room. So I guess I wouldn't come out. They talked for like, like five minutes outside and that was that. So I never visited met her. I've seen pictures of her, but I, you know, I never met her personally, no. That's bizarre. Yes, that That's is. Weird. Yeah. But I do know when once I, you know, they had my son, he had, you know, told him about it, sent pictures and stuff like that. Like, I just figured they were still good friends, you know, because I know she had moved on, too. So I didn't really I didn't feel threatened by it at all. Um, We've got another question from Kelly Gostick, who says, what would happen to Jay if he were to confess that the police made him tell the story he gave at trial? And they, she also asks, do you think, uh, or I guess it's, it could be a he, um, do you think he actually had anything to do with the murder or disposal? And you guys have, have answered that quite a bit, that in fact, no, you don't think he has anything to do with it. But um, what would happen to Jay at this point? The same thing that happened to him before. <laughs> like, it, it, I don't, I mean, would it change anything? I don't know. He wouldn't get in trouble for it. I don't see any scenario in which he would suffer consequences legally or criminally. Um, that that wouldn't be the issue. Whether it could actually change anything, I don't know. I'm a little bit skeptical it could. 
but yeah, no, I mean, the, okay, theoretically, you could be like a, a perjury prosecution, but that's in real life, that's nothing that's ever going to be pursued or could be pursued right. in this circumstance. I just wanted to ask Nikisha a question before we finish up with the social media question. Sorry, and I, this just didn't occur to me earlier. Well, I have all kinds of questions, but I didn't ask earlier. Uh, Nikisha, I don't know. I mean, if you're not comfortable answering it, you don't have to, but... I know you said that you're you're still kind of confused about Jay's involvement, but my question is, has he ever said to you directly that, just directly, that I was there, I saw it with my own eyes? Like, I was, I yes, buried this yes. body. Yes. He has said that. Not buried. He didn't okay. say I buried it. But I mean, like, recently, like I said, he, he's calling and calling. So, you know, I had to ask him. Like, I started asking. He started getting mad. I just started asking questions. Like, well, did you? Like, it's just not adding up. Like, you know too many details. How would somebody know this, that, and the third, the, the, the threading? And the, like, that's too much. You know, if you're going mm-hmm. through a traumatic situation, you don't pinpoint every single little teeny thing. It, it just sounds crazy to me. Like, I don't know. So I asked him that, and, you know, he just brushed it off. Like, well, first he tried to tell me that, of course, he didn't say anything to me or whatever. I don't know. He made me thought I was in court. I don't even know. But then I was like, so, you know, it just doesn't add up, you know, you know, you need to talk to somebody. He's like, well, I, you know, I, I seen it. I, I seen it. Like, I said, do you really think he did it? Like, what, what was it? Because you're saying one thing. You, you put it out there as something else and it's not making sense. That's all I'm saying. He he told me basically he's seen it. He's seen the body. He's seen it screaming. He's seen the body. I'm like, if that's what you believe and that's what it is. Did he say I, where? I feel like if the, if the, he didn't say where. He just was basically like, I know he did it. I've seen the body. But he's and never said he was involved in the burial. Uh, no, he didn't tell me nothing about that. This was, this was recently, like okay. since the whole episodes and stuff. Yeah. Because it does Cause feel like Jay like, keeps going back to that. He's like, lying. I believe he did it. Yeah. He's always like, I believe he did it. I know he did it. But he never really gives specifics. Yeah. And, and he, uh, he's given yeah, so he many said, locations for where. Said, what do you mean? He's like, well, somebody else did it. Why would they frame him? And I'm like, nobody's even really trying to say you did it. But it's like, you need to tell the truth. Like, the story is not adding up, period. Like, you don't understand if I was an outside looking in. But the facts, it doesn't add up. And he's like, I seen it. I seen the actual body. I know he did. I seen the body, which don't still don't make sense for him to even say that to me. I, it's just crazy. Hey, Nakisha, if he says that again, crazy. try and get him to say where he saw it. We can add it to the list of places he claims to have seen it. Was it in a trunk? Okay. Did he even say it was in a trunk, or did he say he saw it somewhere else? No, he just said he seen it. Like, basically did he see it non with eyes on that body? No, he didn't even say that. I didn't even ask him that. He just was basically saying he know he did it because he had seen the body. That's what he told me. In a picture, in a photograph, in the police <laughs> station. <laughs> yeah. All right. Sorry. We, t- we totally hijacked the social media questions. Yes. <laughs> There's only really one more. Uh, so the last one is from William Eggert who says, uh, you all discussed the new Jay call and how this new story uh, of the police picked up Jay. Um, could the police with Adnan's cell records sit on Jay until he commits a crime to increase their leverage in the first interview? Yeah, I wouldn't like that seems like a unnecessary stretch. Yeah, um, I don't think they need to do that. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like from uh, just from the context that there may have been other things he was involved in that were real, that they didn't have to sit on him, you know, and wait for one that, that they were already having some involvement with him at that time. Also, it's Baltimore. Do they really care if it's a real thing? That's a I good mean, they point. pulled the, his arrest in late, late January, I think the 27th, maybe. Um, I mean, that was like a obviously protectual stop where they pulled him over because he I mean, they essentially he was driving while black, but they claimed he didn't like signal in time or something. And they found a little bit of weed. Like, that's all it took for them that time. I mean, they could just do the same thing. It's it's pretty much, I mean, you've seen the videos, and I assume, of, of Baltimore police just planting drugs on body cameras rolling. So, yeah, I don't think you'd need to have any kind of elaborate plot there if that's what you're trying to do. Well, that's the last of my uh, social media questions. Uh, did you guys have any last questions for Nikisha? Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, gosh, it's a million. Not for the air, gotta, not for the air. Yes, I know. We got we to gotta go out to a bar sometime and, and yeah. spend yeah. the evening. Good luck. Thank you for coming forward. But thank I, you, I, I'd be lying to say one word for you. Yes. Uh, thank you so much. I think, you know, what you've done is, is really, really brave. And I just am so grateful you were willing to come on the show. Well, thank you. Thank you. And maybe Jay needs someone he can talk to. He obviously does talk to you despite everything. So... Yes, that's true. It's surprising, Mm -hmm. but it's definitely true. I'm guessing he doesn't have a lot of friends anymore, so good luck. 
Right. And thank you, Susan and Rabia. And uh, I'm very much looking forward to episode four of the documentary. Uh, You guys know what's going to happen, and I don't. So uh, if I call you crying, you'll understand. Or just enraged. I may just be enraged. We'll see. And John, thank you for hosting uh, the series Addendum. And I know you're not going to be with us next week, but we really appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming back. Thank you for including me. And I am just uh, amazed and appalled, unfortunately. But uh, I still have a tremendous amount of hope. And thank you guys again. And that's it for the show today. I want to make one final appeal. This is my last uh, episode of the Addendum for this particular series. But if you could possibly find your way to donating to Adnan Syed's Legal Defense Fund, it has been relaunched. It is at launchgood.com slash freeadnan. And you can donate however much you want. Obviously, he's facing quite a legal hill ahead of him. And any amount you could donate would be incredibly helpful. And the Undisclosed Patreon is still going strong. That is patreon.com slash undisclosedpod. And there you will find bonus episodes with Susan, Rabia, and Colin. And you'll also be able to help the podcast, which we are so appreciative of. If you feel like checking out our website, it is undisclosed-podcast.com. There's a list of all the criminal justice-related charities that you can make a donation to there. And I am donating all of my fees for these special episodes to the Adnan Syed Legal Trust Fund. You remember the one I mentioned earlier. You can follow Undisclosed on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at their handle at UndisclosedPod. And send any questions with the hashtag UDAddendum. I want to thank Hannah McCarthy for audio production, Patrick Cortez, who composed our addenda theme, and Mithil Telhan, our project manager. Uh, Thank you so much, and have a great week. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com.